The following audio is from First Baptist Church of Conyers. More information about First Baptist Conyers is available at firstconyers.com. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis chapter 4. We're going to pick up in verse 8 and go through verse 16. Carrie Skinner did a great, uh, man, just brought a great word a couple of weeks ago. Don't you love hearing Carrie's insight into the Scriptures? Uh, Just some real pointed things. But I want to pick up with with more of the story here on Cain and Abel, beginning in verse 8. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what you have done, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is too greater. It's greater than I can bear. And behold, you have driven me today away from the ground and from your face. I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain... Vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. And then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Father, we pray that God the Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts this morning, God. Father, that each individual that's here, Lord, you know where they are, God. You know who they are. Lord, you know the deep recesses in their hearts and their lives. And so, God, we pray that by the anointing power of the Holy Spirit of God, Lord, your word would be living and active, God, dividing soul and spirit so that, God, we might apply it and walk obediently with you in fellowship. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. When I was reading this passage in preparation, I had a question that, that popped into my mind and, 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 and kept resonating over and over. As a matter of fact, it's a question that, that not only takes place in my mind, some of you may have it in your mind this morning, or some of you may have thought it at one point or another. It's an age-old question that philosophers have tried to answer and and to some satisfaction they have, and, and we're going to try to answer the question this morning. And the question that, that popped in my mind when I read this, that, that Cain was jealous over the offering that his brother Abel had, had offered to God, and sin was crouching at his door, and God gave him the opportunity to repent for that. Cain decided in his heart to go ahead and take out his anger and his vengeance on his brother Abel, and he slayed him with a knife. Now, uh, homicide detectives will tell you that that when there is a murder, it's, it's one thing if a murder takes place with a with a gun or some type of object, where there's some distance from the victim. But they always know that when they come into a case when an individual has been slain by a knife, has, has, has been that close to the victim, there's something very deep and something very sinister that's taking place in the heart of the one that murders. And my question that I had was, why didn't God stop Cain? 
I mean, God is all-powerful, is he not? God is all-knowing. God knew what the intent of Cain's heart was to slay and to murder his brother. God is a sovereign God. He's in control of all of the affairs of the earth. Then why didn't God intervene? And the question that's posed many times today is this. Why does God allow evil in the world where innocent victims fall prey to their evil? I remember when I was about 15, 14 or 15 years of age, growing up in rural Newton County, had a friend, uh, Timmy Day, and his parents had purchased a small little country store between Oxford and Walnut Grove. Now, you'll know it was out in the boondocks in rural Newton County because the name of the grocery store was Snook's Grocery. And they had purchased this little country store, didn't have many things, had some feed and those types of things, just kind of everyday items, what would be now our modern convenience store. And they bought this store kind of as they're looking to retirement and just to have a small business of their own. And then one night as they were closing up shop in the store, back then you closed stores about the time that it was getting dark. Mr. Day goes around to the back to latch up the the gate that was at the back of the store. And to his surprise, he was surprised by a person who was there to rob the store. And the minute he came around the corner, the individual that had intent to rob the store shot and killed Mr. Day at point blank by shooting him in the face. Not a word we understand or we know of was crossed, but immediately slain him, went inside of the store, took Mr. Day behind the counter and slayed her execution style and took a few bucks that was in the drawer. I had the question in my mind, even at that young age, why did that happen to the days? They were a great family. Their son, Timmy, would never be the same. He's my age today, and I have no idea what Timmy is, but it affected and impacted his life. And the question was in Timmy's mind, why did God let this happen? It's only a couple of years later, just down the road on Highway 81 towards Walnut Grove, there was a little Baptist church plant that was there up on the hill. And on a Monday morning after Sunday services, the pastor went into the church, as was his custom, early in the morning, only to walk into the office area. And he was met by an individual who was there taking and stealing Sunday's offerings. And he turned to him and shot him point blank dead. Why did God let that happen. I can remember when I was in South Florida, a family that was connected with our church, the family was driving down the road, the father, the wife, and the two children in the car. And there was a drunk driver that was coming down State Route 15, I think, or Southern Boulevard crossed over the medium, hit the car head on, killed the wife and the two little children, and the husband survived. And his question was, why did God let that happen? A family member who was molested at a young age by her own father, and my question was, God, why did you let that happen? Why does God 
permit evil from the hearts of men who take presumably innocent lives and souls. A lot of people have tried to answer that with a statement that says something like this. Well, if I were God, aren't you glad that I'm not God? Well, if I were God, I I would do things differently because my God wouldn't allow these kinds of things to happen. And they pose answers or they pose responses or presume upon God how he might should act in this and they give some alternative actions that God might do. And one is this, that God would miraculously, I mean, he's all powerful, right? He created all of the human race. He created all that he is. Couldn't God just undo the nature of sin from Adam and Eve and just wipe that out, just take care of it, and now all of a sudden just make all of us right? There's some people you wish God would just make right. They wish God would make you right too. <laughs> When you think about that, the plausible answer is this, that even if we have that question with Adam and Eve, God, why didn't you just stop them in their tracks? Was that God had given Adam and Eve, and God has given you and me, and God has given every human being that has ever been born that will that we have to choose whether or not to obey God or to disobey God. You see, this is a short answer, and and I don't fully understand it, but the only conclusion I've been able to come to in this is there's that one thing that God will not violate in you and I, and I'm not even sure if that's the right way to put it, but God will not violate your will and my will to choose right and wrong. You see, in that relationship that God has with us, If he were to just make us all robotic computers that always did the right thing, then our relationship with him really would have no meaning whatsoever because love extended requires and requests love reciprocated. Jesus said, if you love me, you will do what? Obey my commands. The second thing is this, and sometimes people will offer as an answer, I mean, I mean God, again, God's, God's all-powerful, he's, he's this incredible God, but couldn't he supernaturally intervene 100% of the time? That, that if J-Mo was going to throw his dirty laundry on the floor... He would intervene and change that, just a joke. But, but the question there is then, we only want God to intervene in those acts that we might call the really evil acts, right? God intervene in that, but Lord, don't intervene in this. I'm going to unpack this in just a moment. You see, we'd say it's okay for God to intervene in the really evil acts, those things that are horribly bad in our mind, but to say, God, don't, don't intervene in my life in the things that are less evil. Hello? Let me put it this way. God, stop the real thief. 
But let me get by with a little fudging on my taxes. God, stop the real thief, but, but Lord, it's okay for me to rob you of what you've told me to give to you. Amen or oh my? Let me give you another example. God stopped the real murderer, but I have every right to hate that person for what they've done to me. God stopped the real murderer, but it is my body and I have a choice to make with my body whether to bring this baby in full term or abort it. Where would God stop and where would God start? God, stop the rapist, but let me freely practice sexual liberty in a consenting way, even if it violates the standards of what you've intended in a marital relationship. The third response that I've heard, God, why don't you just immediately stop and judge? What was the movie? Was it Matrix? Where, where, where the movie determined whether or not a person was going to initiate a crime? Minority pride. See, I don't watch R-rated movies, but you do. <laughs> Who said that? Who did I offend just now? Okay. Minority Project. Minority Report. God, you, you see it's going to happen. Just stop it right there and judge it. Wham! Take them out. The only problem with that, there would be not a single one of us in this room today. God, why'd you let it happen? The only thing we can conclude is that God is God, and we don't understand that, but we know that all evil that takes place comes first from the evil one, and because we live in a fallen and infected world by sin, men and women make sin choices that affect and have harm in the lives of others, and God desires... For repentance, God desires a turning. And when we really think about it, the foregoing of God's immediate judgment is really an act of His mercy and grace because if God had judged us immediately, we would have no hope of eternal life. Notice the questions that that God poses to Abel here. I I find these interesting. Verse 9, he says, to Cain, where is Abel your brother? God knew the answer to that, right? I mean, we don't know. The the story doesn't tell us, did he bury him deep in the ground so that nobody would ever find him? Did he just leave him laying there in the field where his blood would spill out? Did he drag him behind a ravine? We, we really don't know. But God knew exactly where Abel was, and he asked the question, Cain, where's your brother? 
God works in this way in us, too. It's those questions that that God speaks into our heart after we know that we have sinned against Him, and He brings the question to our heart, and what He's wanting to draw out from Cain is a confession that He killed His brother and He violated God's command and God's law. Aren't you glad God handles us that way? I thought about this, that, that, that typically as parents, Sarah will attest to this, when I knew that she had done something, I immediately went right to the crime that she had committed and said, you did so and so. You see, in God's posing the question, I think we see a gracious God wanting to draw out of man where he, he has violated God's law so that we might acknowledge our sin and at the same time not only acknowledge our sin but acknowledge his grace in covering our sins. Notice what Cain says to him. He says, I do not know. Blatant lie, right? Blatant lie. Cain, where's your brother? I don't know. And then he says this, am I my brother's keeper? I think there was a note of cynicism in Cain's voice. I'm not sure. But it was kind of what my mama would say, don't give me a smart aleck remark, right? Am I my brother's keeper? Perhaps Cain was wanting to separate himself from Abel his life and his death, and maybe if I can just forget it, then it'll go away. You see, I I, I believe that because Cain had a conscience like every one of us do, that there was a bearing on Cain's conscience that he knew what he had done was wrong, that he killed his brother. And in order to try to cover up that and not take responsibility for what he had done, he posed a defense to God to try to get God off the subject and say, am I brother's keeper? And don't we do the same thing sometimes? Where the Holy Spirit bears on our heart and we kind of give God a redirecting answer to the conviction of sin in our hearts. Kind of like Eve and Adam did, right? Eve, well, the serpent deceived me. Adam, I love this line. <laughs> it's a woman you gave me. And whatever we may add to that, but we find ourselves sometimes doing the same thing. Where God in His grace and His mercy extends what He desires, what His real heart is, is that we would acknowledge, confess, and repent and plead to Him. You see, Cain in this answer really showed that he had no regard for anybody but himself. Cain was, what I see in Scripture, the first narcissist ever mentioned. I mean, Cain was the center of his world. No, no regard for his brother. Had absolutely no regard for him, for human life. Had no regard for God. Had no regard for his parents, Adam and Eve. All he cared about was himself. Now notice the next question that's posed in this verse. God asking this. 
Cain, what have you done? Again, wanting Cain to recognize what he had done. But I find it interesting that in this time when when God asks the question, he doesn't wait for an answer to be given. He's wanting Cain to recognize what he has done. Can I say this from own personal experience, and I think you'll bear witness with it, that there is nothing more beautiful in the life of a believer, in the life of one who loves God, who wants to follow God. There's nothing more beautiful than God putting his gracious finger on our heart and our disobedience and our rebellion, because with his finger, there's a touch of grace that calls us back to Him. It's a beautiful thing. Pick up in verse 11 here with me. So God says, Cain, in verse 10, the the voice of your brother's blood is crying out from the ground. We're going to look at that lastly in the message. And then He gives the judgment. He says, now you're cursed from the ground. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength. You're going to be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And then Cain cries out, my punishment is greater than I can bear. You see, God had to judge Cain's sin. God is not God if he does not judge our sin. God is not holy if he does not judge sin. God's very nature and character demands that he judge sin. Can everybody say amen to that? And we cry out for justice, but never realizing that the moment we cry out for justice, we are crying out for judgment as well, because there can be no justice apart from judgment. Let that sink in. And when justice of God is meted out, it is meted out on a level playing ground. It really is justice for all and judgment to all. Justice demands judgment. But notice in this, God God showed incredible mercy to Cain. You see, even before the law was written as recorded in Exodus, I think, chapter 22, that, that if an individual in the law were to take another person's life on no account, first-degree murder, then the punishment, the judgment for that individual was that their life would be given in exchange, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. 
And somebody may argue, well, that's the law. No, that preceded the law. Listen to what he says in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6. After Noah and his family came out of the ark, when he's making that covenant with Noah, he says, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And what does Cain do? Cain says, hey, my punishment is too severe for me. How crazy is that? Not recognizing the mercy of God in his judgment. And then the question comes, well, why did God show Cain mercy? And the only answer that I can conclude with through Scripture is because God desires that none should perish, but all come to eternal life. You and I need to thank God this morning for his mercy in our life because surely as the psalmist said, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end and they are new every morning. Thank God for his mercy in your life this morning. Give him a clap praise for that. Thank you, God. Let's go back to this verse, verse 10, where, where, where God asks the question of Cain, what have you done? And then he says, the voice of your brother's blood is crying out for me, to me, from the ground. I, I want us to picture graphically for just a moment what the scene may have been when Cain slayed his brother with a knife. The the scene maybe that took place under deception. I think Abel may have thought he was just taking a hike with his brother, you know? The same way they had done before. And Cain deceives him deceptively and turns on him with a knife and he begins to slice and he begins to stab and it's a bloody, bloody mess and most likely a slow death. The first cut probably didn't do it. The second cut might have done it but it probably took at least a third and a fourth and a fifth and who knows how many more. And time after time, the knife is coming down and the blood is spilling out. And God says to Cain, Cain, your brother's blood is crying out from the ground for me. Now, what is his blood crying out? His blood is crying out vengeance. His blood is crying out wrath. And his blood is crying out justice and judgment. And God says, I've I've heard his blood crying out. (laughs) Fast forward some 4,000 years. Because the writer in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 24 tells us this, and he makes a relation between the blood of Jesus and the blood of Abel crying out. The writer says this, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood 
that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Abel's blood was crying out for vengeance. Abel's blood was crying out for justice. Abel's blood was crying out for wrath. But here the writer says that the blood of Jesus cries out louder than the blood of Cain. Why? Because the blood of Jesus was crying out mercy, and the blood of Jesus cries out grace to whosoever will. You see, the blood of Jesus is so much greater, the writer is saying, because the blood of Jesus, the blood of Cain cried out from the ground. It cried out from the dirt. But can I tell you this morning, the blood of Jesus cries out from a better place. The blood of Jesus cries out today from heaven on high as he's seated at the right hand of the Father. You see, the blood of Abel cried out for the vengeance, it cried out for the justice of one. But the blood of Jesus cries out for many and many and many so that the thrones of heaven will be filled from every tongue, tribe, and nation praising the Lord Jesus Christ. Y'all got to do better than that. I want you to stop and think about the blood of Jesus this morning. There's a source that is so different between the blood of Cain and the blood of Jesus. You see, the blood of Cain was was from a man that was merely created in the image of God. And as precious as it is, the blood of Jesus is from God himself. The blood of Abel cried out for a one-time justice, a one-time judgment, a one-time wrath. But the blood of Jesus cries out for all of eternity, and it's that blood, if you've trusted in the shed blood of Christ, that is going to keep you for all of eternity. There's absolutely nothing that can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And when the blood of Christ was paid, when it was initiated, when it was propitiated towards you, when it was extended to you to forgive you of your sins, there's absolutely nothing that can do away with the shed blood of Jesus, you are saved for all of eternity. But but there's one other thing. Jesus' blood, in a sense, does cry out for vengeance. (laughs) But that cry was satisfied when sin and death were conquered through the cross and the resurrection of Christ. You see, all the vengeance that God would demand for sinning against him, it was all placed on Jesus when he shed his blood on the cross, and not just one drop, but flowing from it. And there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veil. And as the writer in Hebrews says this, he makes this statement that the blood of Jesus It means that it's speaking at this very moment. It spoke yesterday. It's speaking right now. It's going to speak this afternoon. It's going to speak tomorrow. 
It's going to speak next week. It's going to speak next month. It's going to speak next year. The blood of Jesus continually speaks. And that is why we rest secure in our relationship to God through the blood of Jesus. Let me close with three verses. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 says this, that if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. What sin did you carry in this morning? Confess it, acknowledge, apply the blood of Jesus, and He covers and wipes away, not only whitewashes, but cleanses us from all sin. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of trespasses according to the riches of his grace. He has purchased us. He bought us from the devil and put us in his kingdom, made us a part of his family, and the price paid was the precious blood of Jesus. First Peter chapter 1 verses 18 and 19, knowing that you were rescued. Don't you like that? Knowing that you were rescued from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Two ways that I want us to respond this morning. Number one is this. That if you're a believer, if you've trusted the blood of Christ, but you're not walking right now in the fact and the reality that His blood has cleansed you, if you're not resting in the shed blood of Jesus, I want this morning that you to make a resolution, to resolve in your heart today, Lord Jesus, I'm going to rest in your shed blood if you've grown into a works mentality, if you've become a good churchman or a good church woman and, and thinking that's all there is, no. Jesus shed his blood for something far more precious than that. That you would turn, rest yourself in his blood and know that you're secure because the blood of Jesus lastly if you're here today or if you're watching on one of our media platforms and you have never trusted solely, completely in the blood of Jesus, then I want to ask you this morning to acknowledge your sin. Acknowledge, God, I know I have sinned against you. God, I recognize that I can't do anything to pay for my sins. And Lord Jesus, I want to trust your shed blood for the forgiveness, the remission, and the removal of my sin. And Jesus, I'm asking you to come into my heart. I'm asking you to be my Lord. Lord Jesus, would you save me from this wretched man that I am? Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Conyers, located in Conyers, Georgia. For more information about First Baptist Conyers, please visit us online at firstconyers.com.